All right, pressing on in our journey through the book of Nehemiah. And so if you have a Bible, Nehemiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally fine. We'll put the scripture on the screen, and we also have Bibles in the seats here. And so if you need one of those, you can certainly use one of those Bibles provided in the seats as paperback Bibles. And if you don't have one at home, listen, we would love for you to take that Bible home and keep it. It's our gift to you, and so make sure you have a copy of uh, God's Word back at home. It's the the best gift that we could give you. And so Nehemiah chapter 6, our... Uh, third and final week, looking specifically at opposition. And so chapters 4, 5, and most of 6 in this great book really touch on great opposition uh, upon Nehemiah and what God is doing uh, with these people. And so Nehemiah, to give you a little bit of a, a recap, is this Jewish man. He re- receives a strong burden from the Lord for Jerusalem, the city of his roots, the city of his, his people. It's God's city. It was intended to be a city uh, that would be prototypical to the world. It would prototype to the world what it might look like if God's people would live with the Lord at the focus center of their life and how it would transform them and how it would reflect to the world God's goodness and God's grace. But God's city had been destroyed. Babylonian empire had destroyed the city. And the world empire had now transitioned into the Persian empire. And Nehemiah uh, has a burden to pray and to prepare to rebuild this city. It's a burden given to him directly from the Lord. It's been 141 years since this city has been in this condition. But God has come and given him these fresh eyes, the eyes of Jesus who weep over Jerusalem. He has those eyes over uh, Jerusalem many years earlier, kind of prophetically. And so, uh, after several months of just intense prayer and fasting and preparation uh, for what God's going to do with Jerusalem, Nehemiah receives favor from God for the rebuilding of Jerusalem, specifically the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. And with the king of Persia's backing, because Nehemiah worked for him, with the king of Persia's backing, uh, Nehemiah begins to rebuild uh, the city of Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, and they begin to work, and they make, as we've seen, just incredible progress. I mean, it is amazing how fast this thing moves along, and it says it's because God's favor is on them, and because the people had a mind to work. Key word, work, right? Ministry is challenging. Being a part of what God wants us to be a part of is challenging. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, hey, Christian faith is easy, it's easy living. No, it's challenging, and they had a mind to Work And they say, we're going to engage in this. We know it's going to be challenging, and they do. And they say, we're going to build. A lot of progress, a lot of progress, a lot of progress. But it's not progress without struggle. There's opposition, and there's obstacles all along the way. And so in chapter 4, if you want to even flip back and look there, in chapter 4, we saw Sambalat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites, they're opposing the work. These external opposition, external obstacles coming at them. Chapter 5, as we saw uh, last week, we saw that there's obstacle of corruption from within. And so they have these internal obstacles inhibiting their work. And then today, in chapter 6, we're going to see obstacles and opposition against Nehemiah himself. The thinking of this opposition is this, that if we can take out the leader, we can take out the entire mission. Right? That if we can nail the leader, we can nail the entire mission. And so we're all leaders, whether you realize it or not. We're all leaders in some capacity somewhere. We have leadership over someone, somebody, some project, some mission. So whether you're a, a leader in your own personal ministry or you're a leader in your vocation or you're a leader in your neighborhood in some regard, 
or you're a leader in your family or in your, your marriage, uh, we all have these arenas of leadership where we exercise uh, leadership. And all these arenas have various missions. And so as Christians, we have this one overarching, unifying mission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We're called to do what? To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're called to make disciples. And for Nehemiah and his people, their mission, building the wall of Jerusalem, is directly connected to, to our mission in later days. Because the prosperity of Jerusalem was connected to the name and the fame and the credibility of the Lord on the earth. And so their mission is really not unlike our mission. And on top of this overarching, unifying mission, we also will have specific missions, specific callings in our own lives. And so here's what we learn from Nehemiah for the overarching mission that we all share and for the specific missions that maybe some are already coming to your mind for the specific missions in our lives. Here's what we learn from Nehemiah. We learn focus. We just learn how to focus in on the mission. A few years back, my wife and I decided to splurge and get a camera, a really nice camera so that we could take these pictures of our, our children and then annoy you to death on Facebook by uh, putting them up and making you stare at them and brag about how great our kids are. And so we bought this camera, and uh, it, was, it was great. We were excited. You know how it is. You get something new, and you're excited. I'm going to learn this thing. My wife actually read the entire instruction manual. Like, who does that? Who reads an instruction manual? Uh, maybe ladies do. I don't. And so she reads the thing. And here's the deal. Over the, the past years, I've learned one trick. I'm a one-trick pony, and maybe I'd know more if I read the manual. But I, I have one trick, and I'll tell you what it is. Look at the camera, and you get one thing in, in focus, and then everything else around it is blurry. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen those pictures? How cool is that? I, I, mean, I, thought, I thought I was awesome. I was like, I'm going to start a business, and it's gonna, I'm going to rack up. It's going to be great. And so I remember we got the camera for each other around Christmas time. Instead of buying individual things, we're going to just do this for Christmas. And I remember I had the Christmas tree all blurry in the background with the lights turning into little balls, and my son's face crisp I mean, right there. And I thought, it was, I thought it was great. And what you're doing is you're focusing in on one thing, making it crisp, And then everything else kind of becomes blurry. And that's what Nehemiah does here is he focuses in on the mission and he blurs out all of the other noise, all of the the obstacles. And we all need to kind of do that in our own lives. We need to think about the mission that God has given us collectively, the mission that he has given you specifically. There's things that you're pursuing in your life that you know that this is what uh, I'm to do with my life. And we're to Focus in on those things and let the things around be blurry. doesn't mean we're irresponsible. doesn't mean that we just run people over. It just means we need to really focus in on what it is and determine what it is that we're to be uh, engaging in. So let's watch Nehemiah as he does this. Look at Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll start by reading 1 through 3. Here's what he says. It says, Now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, uh, although... Up to this time, I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sambalot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hecaphram in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Okay, so here's where we're at. A little update on the project as we start. We see that there is no breach in the wall, so that the wall has been uh, built to the point that it is now completely encircling the city. Militarily, 
That's, that's, that's a big deal, that the wall is now all the way around. There are no more gaps. There are no more breaches. The only thing, he says, is that the doors and the gates are not complete. But listen, this is amazing progress. Over 141 years, nothing. Failed attempt after failed attempt after failed attempt. In just a few short weeks, God does this amazing thing, and the wall is near completion except the gates and the doors. Now, in verse 1, who do we have again? Verse 1, again. Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab. Again. You have those guys in your life? You got those people? It's like, give me a break. Seriously? Seriously, you're on me uh, again? Do you have anything in your life better to do than to make me miserable? I mean, just always on you, right? You got those people? He certainly had those people. On top of this, as we read here, they recruited, and it says, and the rest of our enemies. So these guys have now grown from Sambalat and, and Tobiah to many other people who are now opposing him. I mean, this is rough. Now, I, want, I want you just to know that, listen, almost always great success is a company with great opposition. We need to know that in our own lives. And so when someone is succeeding, someone makes it to the top, guess where they're at? At a great place for you to see them and knock them off, Right? When you're at the top, there's nowhere to go but down, right? And so this is kind of where they're at. He's at the top. He's doing well. He's prospering. Let's take this guy out, right? And so we learn from Nehemiah. Verse 2, they say, come let us meet together, Nehemiah, in the plain of, of Ono, right? So they're saying, hey, Nehemiah, let's go grab some coffee. Let's get together. Let's have a meeting. We're going to work this thing out. Let's get together uh, in the plain of Ono. This is north of the city of Jerusalem. It would have been neutral ground. It's nobody's territory. It's neutral ground. Let's go to Starbucks. You don't have to go to my house, or I don't have to go to your house. We'll meet somewhere neutral, and we'll work this thing out. What does Nehemiah say? He says, I don't think so. That's not happening. He said, I knew that they intended to do me harm. And so what does he do? He sends messengers to these guys. Would you like to have that job? <laughs> uh, they intend to do you harm, and so you're going to send me, Nehemiah, to do that? He says, no, that's your job. Go. And so he sends messengers to these guys, and through the messengers, he tells them, sorry, I'm too busy. No, I'm not. No, we're not, we're not hooking up at Starbucks. It's not happening. I'm too busy. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work while, uh, and leave it and come down to you? Think these guys are happy to hear this? Oh, yeah, it's okay. We understand. <laughs> no, these guys would have been ticked. You're what? You're too busy for me? You're, too, you're, you're, you don't, you're not going to give me the time? Nehemiah, they, they would have been ticked. But here's what these guys are seeking to do. These guys are seeking to divert Nehemiah from the work that God has called him to do. They're seeking to divert Nehemiah from the mission that God has called him to. Not to mention, potentially physically harm him. And so the picture is that that, hey, if we can suck up enough time out of Nehemiah's life, we can divert him from the work that he's called to do, and we can divert him from leading this work on the wall, and we can thwart the whole thing. We can hinder the whole thing. But Nehemiah says, no, not happening. I'm not stopping. Forget about it. Like with the camera, he's saying, I'm focused in, and this is what I need to be doing. I'm blurring out the noise. I hear you. No, not happening, right? Do you have these voices in your own life, people coming at you, seeking to stop you, seeking to hinder you, seeking to hurt you, seeking to oppose you, seeking to divert you. You just be busy with the mission. You pursue the mission. A lot of times they'll say, if I can't oppose them and stop them, I'll just busy them in the wrong direction, right? 
Some people do it intentionally. Some people don't realize they're doing it, but that's what they're doing. Now, what I want to do throughout the rest of the message is I want to give you a few observations and some applications from Nehemiah as we look through the text. I want to look at Nehemiah's focus here. And here's the first thing that we see here. We see there's an unquestionable mission. Do you know what his mission was? Yeah, right? His mission was to build the wall, right? It was to build the wall. So from when he goes before the king, he says, I've got to build the wall of my father's graves in that city. I've got to build the wall. He gets to his people and he says, we need to arise and build the wall. To his readers, as we read, as he writes in this journal of sorts, he says, we were building the wall. Before his enemies, he says, sorry guys, I've got to build the wall. I mean, it is very, very clear. I'm building the wall. That's, that's what I'm doing. That's my mission. I'm called to build the wall. Just the other day, I had somebody in Western Mass. I was at this uh, lobster bake, and somebody goes, hey, so what are you preaching on, Pastor? I said, I'm, I'm preaching on Nehemiah. And they said, oh, building the wall. That's right. See, people just know more than probably any other book in the Bible. When you hear Nehemiah, you hear building the wall. That's what, it's just so clear. Are there any other books in the Scripture you could just say, hey, book of Mark, um, Jesus, salvation, I mean, Nehemiah, building the wall, building the wall. Why? The guy is just completely clear. I am about building the wall. My mission, build the wall. Build the wall. Build the wall. So I want to ask you, how clear is your mission? Is it clear in your own heart what God has called you to do? Is it clear in the way you live your life what God has called you to do? And if you can't quickly articulate that, then your mission is questionable. Not questionable in that you have a bad mission, but questionable in that maybe you're a little unclear on what your mission is. And so I would encourage you, take time to receive clarity from the Lord what your mission is. Like Nehemiah did in chapter 1, where he spent three to four months praying and seeking the face of the Lord so that he could know what the mission is. I do this from, from time to time. I would say, okay, today, I'm not going to, I'm going to work, but my work is not going to look like sitting in front of my computer and doing business and writing sermons, but today, I'm going to go out somewhere, and I'm just going to focus in on the Lord, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek the face of God, and sometimes I come out of those times with new vision. Hey, this is, this is what we're calling you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do, Josh, and other times, I come out of those times with just clarified vision. Same, same thing, just focus in. A little more. Chapter 1, Nehemiah seeks the face of God and his vision becomes crystal clear. And so throughout the book, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. What's your mission? What's God calling you to? You should be able to articulate that well. Again, as followers of Jesus, we have an overarching mission. Make disciples, right? And how we work that out looks a little different, person to person. But ultimately, we're making disciples. And then God has given us some specific missions in your own life, in your own heart. But he had unquestionable mission. It it was clear. Here's my mission. What's our goal? Our ultimate goal in whatever we do is Jesus, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. So what are we looking at? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're longing for the day when he will see us and we will see him face to face and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we know the mission, we pursue the mission, and get even more specific as to how you are called to, to live that out in your own life. Now, here's the next component of Nehemiah's focus that I want us to see. 
and that is resisting diversion. We need to resist diversion. Look at verse 2. He says, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I cannot come down. Now, here's where I'm at on this. Instead of, I cannot come down, I would say, well, uh, I, guess I, I guess I could, yeah. I mean, it's not that I cannot, per se. I just don't, well, okay, okay, I'll come, right? That's kind of where I, I struggle with the cannot, just to be really, really frank. And so, uh, over the past couple of weeks, God has been really stirring my heart on this in preparation and I've turned away uh, four really great speaking and travel opportunities, which is rare for me to do. It is so hard for me to say no. But I just was burdened that I, I have to be clear with what God has called me to do. Let me say this, that your mission is not just impacted by what you do, but your mission is impacted by what you don't do. It's not always about what you say yes to. It's often about what you say no to. And Nehemiah says No, no, I'm not coming. Let me say this. Sometimes the no is no to good things in your own life. You ever had a good thing? You're like, that's great, and I'm for that. But I just personally can't involve myself in this this time. If we did everything, we would be really doing nothing well, right? And so sometimes it's about what you say no to. And I'll say this. These speaking opportunities I was given, it was like a 1,000 plus people. I could impact a lot of lives out of these. But my one mission after my Lord, my marriage, my family is Boston. And so I have to be very clear with that. I have an unquestionable mission, and so I must resist diversion. Here's a conversation that we have from time to time. Great conversation, and I respect it. Sometimes with regards to ministries in our church, someone will say, well, here's the thing. I can't lead I can't serve in that ministry at this time because it would hurt my family. I think that's a great conversation. And here's what they're saying when they say that. They're saying, like Nehemiah, I cannot be diverted from the mission to honor God and my marriage and my family and raise children to know and to love the Lord. And so there are seasons where people have to say, no, I can't engage in that particular ministry at this time. Is it a good option? It's a great option. But sometimes it's about what we say no to. Some bad things can divert you. They're sinful things. wonder if there's any sin in your own life that is diverting you from the mission. And then there are other times there are good things in your life that are diverting you from the main thing, right? So resist diversion. First, by identifying the mission and being very clear and unquestionable about what your mission is. And then second, by just putting up some safeguards to keep you from being diverted. Safeguards around your time, safeguards around where you're going to expend your energy and your emotional currency. I think that's a fine thing to do. We live in a culture with limitless peripheral noise, don't we? I mean, just the the noise around us is insane. I'm not talking about literal noise. I'm talking about just the distractions of life are everywhere. And so uh, for students, whether you're college students or you're a parent of a student, the extracurriculars Good things, but sometimes those good things can be bad things, right? Sometimes your your child doesn't need to be involved in every single athletic opportunity in in front of them or every single piano lesson or, you know, see kids that would go from violin class to football practice and then over to, you know, learn their Latin and then over. It's like, you got to be kidding me. One of the biggest things I noticed when when I moved up to New England was I've never met teenagers so busy. 
Never met so many teenagers that struggle with anxiety. Just a pressure that's on these kids, right? And we think, well, busyness will keep them out of trouble. And in some sense, it does. And busyness readies them for college. And in some sense, it does. But what if they're so busy that there's no room for faith? The main thing. What if they're so busy that they can't plug into the life of a church and and grow in that regard? And busyness can destroy faith. And it can destroy relationship with, with parents. Bottom line, do not be diverted from the main thing. Do not be diverted from the main thing with all the peripheral noise. Let's read on. Look at verse, look at verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Can you believe this? Four times. It's like, I already said no. Come on now, Nehemiah, we got to meet up. Let's go, let's get to Starbucks. Nehemiah, 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 come on. Nehemiah, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. Do you have those people in your life? Like, please, stop, right? Resist the time suckers, right? The people who are just going to suck the life out of you, oftentimes because they want to selfishly use you, manipulate you for their own purposes. Read verses 5 through 9. 5 through 9. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And in it was written, It is reported among the nations... And Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Okay, so four times. Nehemiah, 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 Nehemiah. Let's get together. And then the fifth time, an open letter. And here's what an open letter means. It's not sealed shut. It's not, hey, this is just for you, Nehemiah. It's open. It's public. It's to influence the other people of Israel to come our way. Hey, here's what we're requesting of your leader, and he's not listening, right? And so they're attempting now to turn the people away from their governor, Nehemiah. So that they would then say, come on, Nehemiah. Just, just meet with them. It's their fifth attempt. I mean, maybe it's, it's important. Can't you make time for them, Nehemiah? Nope. Nope. Let me tell you something that will, will happen from time to time. There are going to be people on your own team who will pressure you to go against the mission. That will happen at times. At times, there will be people on your own team that will be unsupportive. But I encourage you, stay focused. Those are incredibly difficult times when people on your own team try to push you away from the mission. doesn't necessarily mean that they're not on the team don't take this to me, well, they're, they're not a true Christian if they're not encouraging me in this. No, it just means that they don't have a clear understanding of the call that you have. And you've got that clear understanding, you know where you're going, and you need to press on. But let me just say, some of the hardest moments are those moments where the people that should be with you seem to be against you. I'm always blown away with Mark chapter 3. 
In Mark chapter 3, it's a story of Mary and some of the, the siblings of Jesus. And they approach Jesus and they think that Jesus is crazy because of some of his teachings. Now, I mean, this is Mary, right? This is Mary who saw the angel before her who tells her that she will be with, uh, with child, though she is a virgin. This is Mary who is pregnant as a virgin. This is Mary who had shepherds come before her and say, we saw a multitude of angels in the sky singing praises and declaring that your child is it. This is Mary who had kings from the far east travel for months to come see her child and to present their child uh, with gifts. It's crazy, right? It's crazy. There are times in your life where you have people who should be supporting you who are not supporting you. Now Mary, in the end, is with Jesus to the very end, right? On the cross. But there was this moment of being unsupportive of Jesus, thinking he's crazy. Doesn't mean they're not Christians. Doesn't mean that they've abandoned the faith. It means that they don't understand your mission. And so you press on. You press on. I'll never forget those moments when Becky and I started really feeling the call to start a church in Boston, to move from central Massachusetts into the city. And there were people that we just knew they would be so fired up for us and so excited who just outright did not understand. Most of them were thrilled, but there were a few who just outright did not understand. Like, Josh, you already have a church. To which I said, well, it's not about us. It's about those who don't have a church, who don't know Jesus. Well, Josh, you have a clear career trajectory if you stay here with us. Well, again, it's not about my comfort, right? Well, Josh, it just doesn't make financial sense. You just built a house. Well, it's not about us. And I'll never forget, even after year one, I spoke with a pastor who said something like this. Year one, we're at year three now. I said, well, Josh, you gave it the good old college try. You know, maybe it just wasn't what God had for you. To which I was thinking, it's been a year. <laughs> it's just been a year. And I'm looking at you guys today thinking, I am so glad that I was not talked out of it by a pastor. Right? Insane. One thing stands out for Nehemiah throughout this story. The guy is alone. Right? You never hear about Nehemiah hanging out with some of his boys. Right? You don't hear of friends. You hear of Nehemiah and God. Nehemiah is constantly praying to the Lord. His one friend, the Lord. And being a visionary and being a leader, for those of you who are leaders, can be one of the most lonely places in the world. And many people will envy leadership without realizing just how hard it can be. And that's where Nehemiah is at. So, the next piece of Nehemiah's focus, he has had this unquestionable mission set before him. So he must resist diversion, allowing him now to persevere through opposition. He perseveres through opposition because he has this clear mission. He has a faithful Lord who he can pray to and draw near to. And so what's the the latest opposition in verses 5 through 9? It's this open letter trying to draw his people away from him. It's also this false accusation. Verse 6, they say, It is reported among the nations that you intend to rebel. Who would he rebel against? 
the king of Persia in Susa, who gave him permission to leave his job and to fund this mission. He's saying, you're going to rebel against him. And verse 7, they, they go on to say, and you have set up false prophets out there. And you have these false prophets out there saying that, that you are, are the king of, of Judah. They're prophesying that you're going to be the king. Is this true? No. Did he have false prophets set up? No. Is he intending to rebel? No. They're making it all up. They're making it up. Verse 6 just gets me worked up. Check out verse 6 here. They say, it is reported among the nations. I love this. Kind of sounds like today when you hear people say, everybody's talking about this. You ever heard that? Everybody's talking about this. Everyone has a problem with this. Everybody's upset about this. Here's my response. I've just kind of crafted this response. And when somebody says that, everybody's upset right now, Josh. Here's what I do. I just call their bluff. I'm like, oh, really? Like who? Well, uh, no, no, seriously. Like, like who is everybody? I mean, you've heard. Who all's? Well, so Jessica and I were talking. And, well, just you and Jessica? That's, that's called a conversation. Well, that's called... It's called gossip. That's not everybody. That's you and, you and Jessica, right? All the, all the, Nehemiah, all the nations are talking about this right now. Everybody's upset. They're making this garbage up, right? Nehemiah, verse 8, he says, No such things as you say have been done. I'm not setting up false prophets. He says, You're inventing them out of your own mind, for they all wanted to frighten us so that our hands would drop from the work. They wanted to. Freak us out. Oh, no, they're against this. So we stop building the wall altogether. Everybody's talking about it, Nehemiah. No, they're not. No, they're not. Everybody's marveling at this point. Wow, this is amazing. Maybe their God's real. Maybe there's something to this Jehovah. Lies. So what does he do? He's got all these lies coming at him, all this opposition coming at him. As with the entire book, one of the great themes of the book, verse 9, he prays. He prays. He says, now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. God, everybody's out to get me right now. It is rough, but strengthen my hands. Let's read on. We'll finish up. 10 through 14. It says, now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of uh, Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I, uh, what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tomiah and Sambalot, oh my God, according to the things that they did, and also the prophetess Nadiah and the rest of the prophets who want to make me afraid. Okay. So if Nehemiah hasn't already been put through the, the ringer, here's a false prophet. And here's what happens. They couldn't divert Nehemiah by seeking to have coffee with him and busying him up. They couldn't stop him by lying about him. But they have one more trick up their sleeve here. 
Here's what happens. Shemaiah happens. Shemaiah requests to meet with Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes and meets with him. That's interesting. He goes and meets with this prophet who is currently shut in. He goes to see him and he prophesies over him. He says, Nehemiah, here's what God is telling me that you must do. You must go to the house of God. You must go to the temple. Get in there, close the doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. Can you imagine? Like you are coming. They're coming to kill you. They want to kill you tonight. Hide. How does Nehemiah respond? He says, no, not running. It's not happening. I'm no coward. And here's what we need to see. We need to see that this is not pride. Like, I'm no coward. I'll go out with my, some hair on my chest. That's not what he's saying at all. This is not pride. It's discernment. It's discernment. So the last observation from Nehemiah's focus for this morning is discerning deception. He has the ability to discern deception. For those of you who are leaders, many will try to deceive you so that they can get out of you what they want to get out of you because you can make things happen that they can't otherwise make happen. Everyone, leaders, will have an opinion as to what you should do. You must know your mission, pursue your mission, and exercise great discernment because people are going to try to deceive you. Now here's the deception. They want to get Nehemiah to go into the temple, they want to get him to hide out. Now, here's the problem. One, he would have been seen as a coward had he gone into the temple, and they would have taunted him and ultimately the Lord. Two, verse 13, it would have been a sin, a sin against God's word. And so he's exercising discernment with an open Bible. Listen, can I, can I tell you something? Shemaiah is this, this prophet or this teacher. Listen, you do not listen to a prophet or a teacher just because they have the title prophet, teacher, pastor in front of their name. You listen to a prophet or a teacher or a preacher because what they're saying jives with the scriptures. You test them by scriptures, not by just, that sounds good. They've had a good track record in my life. Listen, you don't even... You don't even listen to them because they have said some things right in the past. You don't even listen to them because they've opened the scripture in the past. You continue to hold what they're saying up against the scriptures because some will teach things that are true from the scriptures and then go off the rails, right? And they get your credibility, then get your attention, and then go off the rails. And if we don't continue to draw near to the Lord and know the scriptures, then we can just follow them off the rails into a train wreck. But what happens is so often we fall in love with the leader and not with the Lord. We need to fall in love with our Lord. Now, this is Shemaiah. He's a guy who I think he was teaching the right stuff and then went off the rails. And here's how I know this. He has, up to this point, refused to meet with the people that he knew were trying to harm him. He didn't know that Shemaiah was trying to harm him. He trusted Shemaiah probably because in the past, the things that he said were true and right. And he was a, a good prophet, and now he's a false prophet. You think Nehemiah would have walked into his house based on Nehemiah's track record had he known that he was going to give a false prophecy? No. But he goes in because he had said the correct things in the past, but now he's seeking to harm him. Man. I just feel, I feel for Nehemiah here. 
The guy thought he was going to go get some love and some encouragement, some care, some wisdom. Instead, what do you get? You got a prophet for hire. Shemaiah sold out like Judas, didn't he? Just like Judas Iscariot, the cat sold out. I'll close with this. I feel the pain of Nehemiah. I feel the pain of Nehemiah. And some of you feel the pain of Nehemiah. Seems like it's never just one blow, right? It's one blow and then a kick in the gut and then a punch in the face. Just one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. From outside and even sometimes from within. Those who are supposed to be with him, like Shemaiah, are now against him. And this is some of you. You're pursuing the mission of God. You're pursuing the mission that God has put on your heart. The specific mission that God has given you. But it is hard. And maybe you feel like there's no one to turn to. Sometimes following Jesus, you're going to feel alone. Right? But let me just say this. Verse 15 is coming. Look at 15. Verse 15 is coming. The wall is finished on the 25th day. The wall is finished, or the, or, or the 50, um, yeah, the 25th day of the month, 52 days. Amazing. It's coming. Victory. And it will be worth it. You've got to know it's going to be worth it. You're not going to look back and say, Jesus said, well done and good faithful servant. That was great, but I don't think I'd do it all over again if I had the chance to do it all over. You're going to say, it was worth it. It was so, so worth it. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world, and you're going to see me face to face, and it's going to be worth it. Verse 15, the wall is completed in 52 days after 141 years of failed attempts. Why? Because Nehemiah sought the face of God. He discerned what the mission is. He had just an unquestionable mission So he resisted diversion moving forward. He persevered through the opposition. And then he discerns uh, the deception that's coming his way. And then verse 14, last verse, what does he do? He prays. He prays. All along the way, he draws near to God. It's hard, it's challenging, but he prays. He comes up to the Lord over and over and over and over and over again. And I would say this to all of us. Draw near to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. He is your, your hope. Right? He's your, your comfort. He's your peace in all of this. And I would encourage you, draw near to Jesus. And as we sing some closing songs, I would encourage you, use this time to pray. Use this time to sing uh, prayers to the Lord. Use this time to draw near to the Lord. Some of you, for the first time, need to give your life to Jesus and start to follow Jesus. Maybe some of us, you've never given your life to Jesus. And you're pursuing all the various missions of the world saying, do this, you should do this, you should do this with your life, you should do this with your life. And Jesus says, here, here it is. I love you. I've died for you. And I want you to love others. I want you to be about my work on this earth. And you're going to find that as you're about the work of Jesus, after coming to Jesus, it is the most fulfilling, amazing thing that you could be a part of. Not easy, but amazing. And when you see him face to face, you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You weren't diverted, you weren't deceived, you pressed on, and you sought the face of God, and he gave you strength. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this time together. God, thank you for your word. God, I just pray that every single one of us in this room today would 
be clear on what our mission is. Be clear on what you're calling us to, to be and to do with our lives. God, I pray that we would be about the great commission, the great mission to make disciples, to share with people the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus. And if there's anybody in this room who has yet to give their lives to Jesus, I pray that they would see their need for a Savior because of their sin and that they would turn to a gracious, loving Savior who died for them and who resurrected victoriously over Satan's sin and death. Lord, thank you that we know the end of the story. We know the verse 15 of our lives. That what you calling us to is a worthy investment because we know the end. We know that it will be victory. So help us in that to press on. For some of the specific missions that you're putting on our hearts, Lord, God, I pray that we would be able to press on and to do what you've wired us to do and to do it well and do it for your glory that these thoughts from the book of Nehemiah would be helpful and applied. We thank you that you apply your word in very specific ways. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.